Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. My name is Paul Bramer. I'm director of the Doctor of Ministry program here. Special welcome to those who are here as uh, part of their uh, summer course, the Issues in Pastoral Care and Counseling in the Ethnic Churches meeting this week. And also the Doctor of Ministry cohort number four is uh, here for their very first week. And so most elements in our uh, chapel service are going to be the same, but this is also functioning a little bit as a convocation for the uh, Doctor of Ministry new cohort. Um, like a few other programs, it doesn't start at the regular time in the year, and uh, I think this is going to be happening more and more. So uh, those of you who are staff here, a special thank you for your accommodating and increasingly varied uh, program offering that we have here at, uh, at Tyndale. But we are going to worship, and we're going to worship through songs. Matt and Albert are here to lead us. We're going to have scripture read, and that's uh, Catherine Young, who is the administrative assistant in the Doctor of Ministry program, who will read that. And then our homily is um, by Tom Lamshed. Uh, I can say the Reverend Dr. Tom Lamshed now. Uh, and uh, Tom is a graduate of the undergraduate program at Tyndale, of the graduate program at Tyndale, and now among the first of the doctoral graduates at Tyndale. So it's really nice to have him here. He is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel, a historic church here in Toronto in the Pape and Danforth area. And then um, Dr. Mark Chapman, who uh, is professor of research methods, uh, is going to lead us in a little uh, litany of consecration for them after the, after the uh, sermon. And then uh, Dr. Kevin Livingston, who is professor of pastoral studies and is on the Doctor of Ministry Committee. So if you're getting a bit of a theme here, he is, uh, he is going to uh, have prayer for us at the end. So we'll just proceed as that and uh, enter into the uh, worship and the joy of the Lord. Dr. Bramer asked me to share some reflections as a demon survivor. <laughs> Maybe you don't know him, but that's not actually what he asked me to do. But there's a sense in which uh, the request was to share some reflections, reflections on uh, education, reflections on, on life of uh, 20, uh, more than 25 years in pastoral ministry. What Dr. Bramer did not know was that it was 31 years ago that I last stood behind that pulpit to preach in, uh, in this uh, chapel. It... Uh, it's been 31 years, which I guess sort of means something was wrong the first time. Must have stunk or something, right? Um, because it's been 31 years, let me tell you the context. Uh, it was orientation week of, uh, of one of my first years of school here. And I'm, uh, I'm a resident advisor at the time uh, and a wannabe preacher, and so they gave me the job to preach the orientation uh, sermon, and uh, they had given me the title, and the title was Consider Yourself. And that was in keeping with the theme of that year, Consider Yourself at Home. And I was to preach, Consider Yourself. Consider yourself in the light of God's plan. Consider yourself in the light of what God is doing in your life. Consider yourself in the light of the, the community of faith at OBC, Tyndale, as it's now called. Just consider yourself. Uh, little did the organizers know that um, I had been doing an awful lot of considering myself because just two weeks before standing behind this pulpit to preach, we buried my mother. 
And in those two weeks, there was an awful lot of wrestling happening. I mean, I barely had a high school myself. I'm here at the Bible school to get some, uh, some depth for myself, to learn something that might uh, strengthen me, that I might consider my days of ministry. And so I'm standing behind that pulpit with my head just spinning. The week before uh, uh, my mother died, I had a conversation with her. And uh, before she died, rather agonizing death. And it was, an, it was a, one of those mixed emotion moments, huh? I knew we were saying goodbye, and she said, Tom, I've tried my best to ask the question, why me? Why me now? Why this? Why death? Why pain? Why so early? And she says, I, I, I've come to a different question, and I can't escape a different question. In my heart of hearts, I'm asking, why not me? And she had spent that time considering herself and considering her relationship with her God and considering her life. And she had spent that time and she concluded that if somehow or other this pain and this death would enhance what God wanted for her life, for her death, or maybe for somebody else, then that was okay with her. And I stood behind this pulpit not nearly as convinced as my mother and not really as convinced of my God. I am I'm a good filer. I have a good filing system. I kept those notes. And this week after, after Dr. Bramer asked me to come and share, I went back to those notes and I pulled them out and I read those notes. And now I know why I wasn't invited back for 31 years. Uh, they stunk. <laughs> there was so little in them, with the exception of one thing, and it was a little word study that somehow or other I had the strength to do. And it was a word study on the root word that the Bible uses an awful lot for consider, examine, or test yourself. And that word comes out of the Jewish marketplace where you would scratch the surface of the item you were going to buy You'd scratch the gold or the silver to see if it was more than just a veneer. And ever since, I can see in my own life how this has become a theme. A theme for my own journey, a theme for the demon, a theme of scratching the surface of my life to see if what's behind it is genuine. If this was going to be a sermon today, and it's not going to be, okay? If this was going to be a sermon today, I would call this Life Lessons from a Slow Learner. Life Lessons from a Slow Learner. And I have several of them, and I don't have that much time. I'll get to as many as I can, okay? And we'll just deal with what we can. Let me tell you what one considering myself lesson, I think, has been a very key part of my, uh, of my personal journey. And it's this. Faithful is half the grade. You're in school, so you get it, right? Faithful is half the grade. And as soon as I say that, uh, most of you 
are already in your mind going to the parable, aren't you? Right? In your mind, you've already vacated the, the room and the sermon, and you've gone to Matthew 25, and you're thinking about the parable where Jesus is trying to give a frame of reference to, to a group of people as to how God um, grades assignments in life. The, the parable is the master who goes away and he gives five talents to one servant, two talents to another, one talent to a third, right? And the five-talent servant gets five more through whatever means, and the two-talent servant, another two from whatever means, and the one-talent uh, servant um, buries it out of fear. And then Jesus gives us a bit of a grid of how, of how God actually sees and evaluates our life and our ministry and our ways. His master replied, Well done, good servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And you're saying that's not what the Bible says, right? The Bible says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Faithful is half the grade. I sort of wish my professors had believed that when I was in school. I might have got better marks. But, but in terms of God's analysis and God's view of our ministry and what we do, and as we journey through the DMIN program, faithful is half the grade. Uh, most of us would give a verbal assent to that. We'd give a nod to that. But that is a harder lesson to do than it is to say or even to believe. I was... Um, uh, ten years ago, just about ten years ago, when we first arrived in Toronto to take up the ministry at Calvary Church, I got a call from a local um, um, funeral director to conduct a service. I was brand new in town. I obviously didn't know the lady. I was new in town. But I set upon to make a great sermon, great funeral sermon, and I had a great one. I'll tell you right now. Good? Ha! Huh, great. <laughs> My father would call it a Royal George. Ever heard that term? My father would call, well, that's a Royal George sermon. That's your best. Pull that out and preach it again sometime, right? Oh, I had a Royal George, right? And it was good. In fact, it was great. And I prepared and I thought, I'm going to wow this group of new people. Huh? I uh, called the funeral director, said, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I've got, I'm ready. Um, I'd like to meet the family. And he said, there's no next of kin, which I thought was a little odd. No next of kin. Okay, can't meet the family. There is a lawyer who is acting as the executor, but he won't meet you. In fact, he'll be there half an hour ahead of the service for the, the um, visitation time. And that would be the only visitation. Fair enough. I was going in a little cold, but with a great Royal George, huh? No one showed to the visitation. Not one. Not even the executor. I thought that was a little odd. But what was more odd was this. No one showed for the funeral. Not one single person. That hurt. But as I got over the hurt of the whole idea that someone could live their entire life without somebody attending the funeral, I also thought, well, what should I do? I guess we just go home. And then I thought, well, do I really take an honorarium for this? <laughs> didn't do anything, right? And then it dawned on me, Tom, your job is not to give a great funeral. Your job is to be faithful to what I've called you to do. 
you faithfully dismiss this dear lady with the dignity of the life that she has had. You say goodbye to that dear one who you do not know because I loved her and it's your faithfulness that matters to me, not this crowd. So I called the few two funeral directors over, both guys. I said, men, I believe in the dignity of life and death, of respect for the dead. Do you? Which is a loaded question, right? How are you going to answer that one, right? So, like, I set it up really well. Of course, pastor, of course you believe in this. I said, all right, sit down. I am going to conduct a funeral service. (laughs) And we agreed that on faithfulness alone that the right thing to do would be to conduct a service for the three of us who never knew the soul who had passed away. Faithfulness is half the grade as far as Jesus is concerned. Lesson two. How's that for a segue? (laughs) If you're a preaching professor, please don't analyze this. Um, Lesson two, uh, that I think is a priority as I'm thinking through my own journey is that prayer takes you where you really want to go. You think about that. Prayer takes you where you really want to go. I've come about this lesson in in, uh, my own learnings really kind of from a roundabout way. Uh, James 1.17 Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Friends, God is good. Right? God is always good. God is only good. Everything God does is good. And anything that is good is from God. Each Sunday after I preach, there's always somebody who comes up and says, Good sermon, Pastor, right? Remember one of my professors, Howard Hendricks, calling that the glorification of the worm ceremony. <laughs> they all come up to the worm and glorify him and say, good sermon, Pastor, right? And so they were glorifying the worm last Sunday again. And, um, and I try to help my people to understand that God is good. The rest of us just try, right? God is good. The rest of us just try. Any legitimate growth, friends, any legitimate good in your life, in your ministry, in your studies, in your schooling, any legitimate good in you is in God's hands. And if what you're doing does not have the touch of the Spirit of God on it, then you're missing the point. And that makes prayer your most vital ministry. Hearing what God has to say. Hearing what's on his heart for the good of your growth, for the good of your service, for the good of your ministry, whatever it is. Prayer takes you where you really want to go. It goes to the good God who only gives good. I'm trying to incorporate something different in my own prayer life Um, in the spirit of honesty here. I'm trying to incorporate wordless prayers. Uh, You know what I mean by that? That's a hard thing to do. 
um, wordless prayers is, you know, when you put yourself in a posture, in a place, in some sort of a, of a spirit uh, where there is actually just silence. And when you are there, when you've created that space for God, then lo and behold, doesn't God sometimes fill the silence? And in, in he comes, that good God who only gives good gifts, only, in he comes and he speaks. Our theology says that the Holy Spirit is a person, right? He's in residence, not in dorm, right? In residence, in me. He's taken up residence in me and he's a person. All the constituent elements of, a, of personhood he has, he speaks. Pull out your iPads and start a concordance search on two words, God said. And check out the list. God speaks. Then I look at my own life, and I have to say that the, the noise and the multiplying of my own words has sometimes made even my prayer life nothing more than a monotonous routine where, where God himself doesn't even enter, where the only one present in my prayers is me. Sometimes God just has to if he's not good at yelling, he's not going to get through to me sometimes, right? So pull out your iPads and look that up. God yelled. Not going to be there. But when I presence myself with him with wordless prayers, then God can speak. And I really have learned to appreciate the self-confidence of our God who has so many good things to share that he's just simply not going to shove a word in edgewise. And he'll wait till I'm ready. And then he takes me where I want to go. He takes me into the only good that could ever come from me. Prayer takes you where you want to go. That is not an easy lesson, but a necessary one. Point number three. Again, great, great segue, huh? <laughs> Point number three. Lesson number three. Jesus is our great enabler. Another one of those life lessons from a slow learner. It's Jesus is our great enabler. I'm, I'm thinking of that passage of, um, you know that passage where Paul has his thorn? Right? I think that's instructive. Uh, it's instructive to help us to understand how, how do we do what we do with any sort of strength and ability? And how do we do it amid the thorns of life? Paul's uh, passage, that's 1 Corinthians 12, to keep me from being conceited because of these surprisingly great revelations that was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So that Christ's power may rest in me, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is one of those passages where a good study from the original language not only informs but actually inspires 
And, and you, you, need, you need to do that because some of the forms of those words do not translate particularly well into a language, uh, our own language. And so, for instance, the, that word in verse 9, he has said or he said, there's more power to that in its original form than there is in, in our language. In fact, some of uh, your translations probably say he hath said. Now, there's no hath in the original language, but they're trying to come, out, come across with this point. And the point is this. This is the final word. This is the final word. There will be a period after this sentence. There will be no qualifications. There will be no more comments on this, and I expect no more prayers about it either. This is the final word. He hath said. It reminded me very much of the movie the Ten Commandments, you know, the Pharaoh's comment. So let it be written. So let it be done. Right? Recall that one? That's the spirit of what's going on here behind the scenes. He hath said. Now listen carefully, he says. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. I appreciate the fact that God does here for Paul what he does for everybody who ever prays any prayer. He answers. <laughs> right? He answers. Now, of course, it wasn't exactly the way that Paul had thought it might pan out, right? But he gives an answer. And what's his answer? Uh-uh. No, 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 no. You, Paul, I think I know what you're asking for, and I think I do know what Paul's asking for. I think Paul's saying, listen, take this thing away. Why? Because I want to be free to do the stuff the Lord you've laid on my heart to do. i got stuff to do, and this is not helping me. God, what's your problem? <laughs> Take this from me because I actually want it gone for your sake. You've called me to be the apostle of the Gentiles. Who else can say that? Look at what I've done. Get rid of this. i got more to do. Set me free. Oh, God says. Is that what you want? Is that the spirit of your prayer? You really want to work and do well for the Lord's sake, for me? All right, then i got a better solution. Keep the thorn. You keep that thing. Matter of fact, it's my final word. You keep that thing. But along with that thing will become what you, re come with what you really want. My strength. My enabling. Because that's what you really wanted. God answers his prayer. Grammatically speaking, by the way, there's another word in there that you really would want to study if you had the time. It's that word perfected. My strength is perfected in your weakness. That, that word, given the form that it's written in, it, it, it simply means that to the extent that you are weak is the extent that I am strong for you. There's a one-to-one -one relationship between your strength and my weakness. It's actually quite a linear thing. As you become even weaker, I become even stronger in what you're trying to do. Your weakness has nothing to do with what I want to get done. It's almost as if he's saying, I prefer your weakness, Paul. Because it's really then that my strength and my enabling becomes strong and pure and perfected as the word goes. Jesus is our great enabler. It is not our ability. In fact, it might be our inability 
that best accommodates what God wants to do. I'm finished when I tell you this. Uh, Grace came down the aisle on Sunday morning. Grace is a little Asian lady. She's just a sweetheart. Usually a very stoic, proper stance. But not Sunday morning. She came down on Sunday morning, and she was glowing, beaming, just beaming. I, I, I really noticed it, and I said, Grace, you look happy. <laughs> And she came to say, yeah, and she told me the story of the, why her face was glowing. You see, she's, a, she's a, uh, an intake counselor at an addiction center uh, in town. And so she meets a lot of people down on their luck, people who need a lot of help, help much, much deeper than they're actually able to get without the work, without the work of Christ in their heart. And yet she uh, can only do her best and she can only do what is good. She cannot share the light of Christ in the situation she finds herself in. But she knows that's the sole answer to the question these people are asking. And then on Sunday morning, she looks across our congregation and over on the other side is one of her guys. And she started to glow. It was physical. I could see it. It was as plain as day. Now that, that individual, because of his difficulties in life, was very uncomfortable in our church, okay? Very, very foreign territory uh, for, for him to be in. And so when the old preacher boy said amen, poof, he just took right off. But Grace was not going to let that happen. And she took off after him, grabbed him on the sidewalk, and she shared with him that there is a deeper answer to the issues of your life, and it's probably found in some of those scriptures you've been hearing today. Would you come back next Sunday, and could we talk some more? Friends, there is a fisherman, a divine fisherman who is maneuvering the boat. Jesus is our great enabler. Let me pray. Father, allow these lessons that uh, you have included within your scripture to find root in our hearts uh, for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Tom. It's... uh good to hear you. That's good. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about beginnings and endings as we've watched uh, one cohort graduate and another one come in. And uh, you talked about what's in between those things. How does, one, how does one see God's sustaining power as we move between beginnings and endings, between endings and beginnings? And uh, thank you for that, Tom. We'd like to move now to a, a consecration of the current cohort, the cohort that's just arriving, cohort four. And so... Uh, we're going to do a number of statements by different groups of the Tyndale community. So I'd like to invite to stand now the staff, administration, and faculty, and we'll see a, a statement that we'll read together on the PowerPoint. Let's read together. We commit ourselves 
do our part in supporting and guiding the Doctor of Ministry candidates and program at Tyndale to the fulfillment of our mission and to the glory of God. Amen. You can have a seat. And now I invite the candidates of the Doctor of Ministry Cohort 4 to stand. Let's read together. Amen. Now let's all stand. Let's read together. Lord, we commit this school, its students, staff, faculty, and supporters, and especially today, the Doctor of Ministry program, to your guidance, nurture, and blessing. Amen. Thank you very much. Dr. Kevin Livingston will come and join us for the final prayer. Friends, let's pray together. Almighty and merciful God, in Jesus Christ, you called ordinary people just like us to be your disciples. And you sent them out, Lord, even as you send us to teach and to preach and to embody your truth and your grace in a hurting world. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us to Tyndale and especially our brothers and sisters in Cohort 4 in the, in the D-Men program. Lord, make us honest and eager to serve you. Give us tender hearts to care for other people, especially those nearest to us. Give us tough minds to wrestle with your word so that, Lord, as we speak and act and embody your grace and truth, people will repent and return to you and put their trust in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Master, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.